You can get this full audiobook for free on Amazon, by clicking on the link in the description. Is brought to you, by the book guide. Man who proposed to mom three days into their relationship, I was a kind brother to his two children. But none of these things were really true. I hated earrings, I hated police cars, and I knew that Ken's children would be out of my life by the next year. In Kentucky, I didn't have to pretend to be someone I wasn't, because the only men in my life, my grandmother's brothers and brothers-in-law, already knew me. Did I want to make them proud? Of course I did. But not because I pretended to like them. I genuinely loved them. The oldest and meanest of the Blanton men was Uncle T-Berry, nicknamed for his favorite flavor of chewing gum. Uncle T-Berry, like his father, served in the Navy during World War II. He died when I was four, so I have only two real memories of him. In the first, I'm running for my life, and T-Berry is close behind with a switchblade, assuring me that he'll feed my right ear to the dogs if he catches me. I leap into Mamaw Blanton's arms, and the terrifying game is over. But I know that I loved him, because my second memory is of throwing such a fit over not being allowed to visit him on his deathbed that my grandma was forced to don a hospital robe and smuggle me in. I remember clinging to her underneath that hospital robe, but I don't remember saying goodbye. Uncle Pet came next. Uncle Pet was a tall man with a biting wit and a raunchy sense of humor. The most economically successful of the Blanton crew, Uncle Pet left home early and started some timber and construction businesses that made him enough money to race horses in his spare time. He seemed the nicest of the Blanton men, with the smooth charm of a successful businessman. But that charm masked a fierce temper. Once, when a truck driver delivered supplies to one of Uncle Pet's businesses, he told my old hillbilly uncle, Offload this now, you son of a bitch. Uncle Pet took the comment literally. When you say that, you're calling my dear old mother a bitch, so I kindly ask you to speak more carefully. When the driver, nicknamed Big Red because of his size and hair color, repeated the insult, Uncle Pet did what any rational business owner would do. He pulled the man from his truck, beat him unconscious, and ran an electric saw up and down his body. Big Red nearly bled to death, but was rushed to the hospital and survived. Uncle Pet never went to jail, though. Apparently, Big Red was also an Appalachian man, and he refused to speak to the police about the incident or press charges. He knew what it meant to insult a man's mother. Uncle David may have been the only one of Mamaw's brothers to care little for that honor culture. An old rebel with long, flowing hair and a longer beard, he loved everything but rules, which might explain why, when I found his giant marijuana plant in the backyard of the old homestead, he didn't try to explain it away. Shocked, I asked Uncle David what he planned to do with illegal drugs. So he got some cigarette papers and a lighter and showed me. I was 12. I knew if Mamaw ever found out, she'd kill him. I feared this because, according to family lore, Mamaw had nearly killed a man. When she was around 12, Mamaw walked outside to see two men loading the family's cow, a prized possession in a world without running water, into the back of a truck. She ran inside, grabbed a rifle, and fired a few rounds. One of the men collapsed, the result of a shot to the leg, and the other jumped into the truck and squealed away. The would-be thief could barely crawl, so Mamaw approached him, raised the business end of her rifle to the man's head, and prepared to finish the job. Luckily for him, Uncle Ped intervened. Mamaw's first confirmed kill would have to wait for another day. Even knowing what a pistol-packing lunatic Mamaw was, I find this story hard to believe. I polled members of my family, and about half had never heard the story. The part I believe is that she would have murdered the man if someone hadn't stopped her. She loathed disloyalty, and there was no greater disloyalty than class betrayal. 
Each time someone stole a bike from our porch, three times by my count, or broke into a car and took the loose change, or stole a delivery, she'd tell me, like a general giving his troops marching orders, there is nothing lower than the poor stealing from the poor. It's hard enough as it is. We sure as hell don't need to make it even harder on each other. Youngest of all the Blanton boys was Uncle Gary. He was the baby of the family and one of the sweetest men I ever knew. Uncle Gary left home young and built a successful roofing business in Indiana. A good husband and a better father, he'd always say to me, we're proud of you, old J-Dot, causing me to swell with pride. He was my favorite, the only Blanton brother not to threaten me with a kick in the ass or a detached ear. My grandma also had two younger sisters, Betty and Rose, whom I loved very much, but I was obsessed with the Blanton men. Even as a boy, I would sit among them and beg them to tell and retell their stories. These men were the gatekeepers to the family's oral tradition, and I was their best student. Most of this tradition was far from child-appropriate. Almost all of it involved the kind of violence that should land someone in jail. Much of it centered on how the county in which Jackson was situated, Breathitt, earned its alliterative nickname, Bloody Breathitt.